welcome once again to a novel evening. As ever, I'm Danny. You can find me over on Instagram as Blotted Ink Books, or you can check me out over on TikTok as a novel evening podcast. And for this episode, I am joined by Maz Evans, whose book Over My Dead Body, I think, is set to be one of the most darkly humorous crime novels of the summer. I feel like this is a read to be packing in your suitcase, to be taken away with you if you're going for a late summer break. I think this is the one. Um, it's the story of Dr. Miriam Price, uh, who's a murder victim who was too drunk to know who did it, um, which I absolutely love. The tagline for this book describes it as the Thursday murder club with a hangover. Um, I think anyone who knows me well will know that that is probably what would happen to me if I was murdered. Um definitely on a Sunday for sure I would be hungover but yeah I'm gonna let Maz tell you all about this book I have so many questions for her about where this idea came from and I'm super super excited to welcome her onto the podcast and to find out all about her novel evening a massive hello to Maz hello Ooh. how are you doing I'm doing very, I'm, I'm actually, I'm in a very happy place, literally and figuratively, Danny, because you are the first person I've spoken to in my new writing shed. I have waited 20, well, it's beautiful because I literally moved in yesterday. <laughs> if we did this tomorrow, different story. There would be laundry and dead bodies and God knows what. <laughs> but this is one day old. This is peak, peak writing shed. It will never look like this again. But it's like, it's joyful. My daughter explained it perfectly, the difference between this and the sort of little office corner I had in the house, that she went, it's just far enough, but I can't be bothered to come and disturb you. I was like, yes! That's yes! heaven. Praise all the saints, that is it. The, the 20 feet, I don't even that, 15 feet probably between me and the back door, that's enough to disturb, like a force field for teenagers that requires oh, them. To that's the difference. You have teenagers, so they can't be asked. My children would go to the ends of the earth to find <laughs> where I am and what I'm doing. <laughs> and recording this as we are at the start of the summer holidays, I the, every summer for about 10 years, I threatened to change my name by Depole from mum to anything else in the whole wide world. You're house brick, <laughs> yum yum, anything. That was like, yeah, honestly, if you're not um, a parent, you cannot underestimate how many times you'll hear the word mum in, in an hour, in, 10 minutes. No, particularly if you want to do something, I find, like the, the magnetic force field that, that attracts my children to me is something like this or a phone call, when suddenly having completely ignored me for maybe as much as a week these days, they're all in the teenagers, suddenly my company, I'm like I'm like Scarlett O'Hara uh, uh, you know, at, a, at a ball. Suddenly I am the most exciting, you know, enchanting person to whom everything needs to be told and shared and everything is required from. And I just go, I've literally built a shed to get away from my children. <laughs> I'm waiting now. I'm looking in your little windows you've got there for the faint signs of a teenager <laughs> lurking. Yes, I will We're walking that. dead. Like Dickensian orphans, I will just sweep <laughs> them away and, I, and they'll be gone. I'm thinking of actually sort of having some sort of electrical field around the window so if anyone knocks, they just get zapped like one of those fly things. And yeah, yeah that'll be fine. Whatever you've got to do to be able to write. And that oh. that's why we're here. We're here to talk about you and your writing right. that you're hopefully going to do a lot more of in your shed. So, <laughs> first and foremost, Congratulations over my dead body, your first adult novel coming out next month in August when this is released. 
I'm so excited. I, this one, well, my career, as as indeed my children, were a complete accident. So <laughs> the, the plan had been to actually become an adult author. That was that would be a novelist. We don't we never qualify it with adults, do we? as a children's author. You always say I'm a children's author, but I'll just be an author um, with, without any qualification. And it just sort of worked out this way. I wrote um this silly book about a boy who goes on adventures uh with the gods of Greek mythology, which was who let the gods out, my debut children's book and I, so I haven't stopped since so um I took the pandemic as I think with so many people for finally me to just find the time uh to uh put this thing down that I'd had in my head I, I, I'd originally planned to be a tv script writer uh, even before wanting to be a, a novelist yeah. no qualification um and this was a tv script that had done really well for me it got me an agent and it won me some competitions and stuff uh and it's literally sat in a drawer since 2010 and <laughs> I finally wow. Going back to it, because I love the story. There's only ever been two ideas in the million ideas that run through my brain of a minute. There's only two I've ever pursued, and one was Who Let the Gods Out, um, and one was Over My Dead Body. In the face of overwhelming rejection, I'm sure we'll get onto those happy tales as we go along. Oh my goodness. And I'm going to have to hit you up. I'm actually a, a film student at the moment, and my goal is to write scripts. So at some point, I'm going to be hitting you up. <laughs> Well, I'm probably not the person because I'm <laughs> not a scriptwriter, so I might be a, an object lesson now not to do it. But um, I, yeah, that was I love because I love stories. So yeah. you know, which, whichever way. This it does comes. feel very um, made for television. The the plot works perfectly. Uh, this is what I want. This is the great. Well, when I when I did the uh, script originally, which which got me the agent, she went, "If we don't do this," she said, "Turn it into a novel." She said, "The number of times we write TV script that isn't taken, then they turn it into a novel, which tells all right, and then they get to turn it back into a TV script." So they sort of go, "Well, I'll take it." Yeah, it's a roundabout way of doing it. But a way of doing it. But yeah, nothing in my life goes in a straight line. But um, but yeah, I mean, that's the bit I'd love to see. That I'm a huge TV addict, so uh, to see one of my things on television that is numero uno on the yeah so first and foremost tell me about over my dead body for people who are listening tell us about this story well now over my dead body is the story of dr miriam price who is a misanthropic a and e consultant who wakes up one morning ever so dead um now miriam knows she was murdered she knows perfectly well she was murdered um but all the signs and the sort of tableau around her deathbed point to uh, an overdose an accidental overdose now miriam knows she would never overdose she's a doctor and she just wouldn't do that unfortunately the night of her death um she fell off the wagon after a year of sobriety and she was so absolutely off her head she has no idea who killed her and why. Um, now, this, she's annoyed about this anyway, but even more so when she is eventually beamed up to the afterlife. This is set in 2020, so we're in the middle of the pandemic. So the, the, the afterlife's a little bit backed up, unfortunately. Right. Uh, but when she, finally, when she finally gets there, um, she's sort of, you know, waiting to proceed. Uh, it turns out that the afterlife is kind of like fleet service station. You sort of have to go there and, and get processed and then you get to move on to happily ever after. But she can't go because uh, the afterlife is so backed up. They're having to prioritize deaths, to, you know, in sort of order of what they deem to sort of be a, be a priority. So um, the verdict of her inquest that week is due to record death by misadventure. So basically not just an accidental death, a death where frankly, you're a bit stupid and it was sort of your own fault and they are being put to the back of the line. So if Miriam cannot prove to her inquest 
uh, that she was murdered, she's stuck in limbo for 50 years until the time of her natural death. Now, this is awkward for anybody, but she is a ghost who cannot see, nor be seen, nor communicate, nor touch, nor do all the things that ghosts can't do. Except it turns out with one human being on uh, the green earth, which is her next door neighbor, Winnie, Winnie Campbell, um, who is uh, 78 and uh, a bit of a, I love Winnie, she's an absolute icon. Um, but unfortunately her and Miriam did not get on well in life. They had an escalating, very hostile feud of kind of revenge pranks. So um, uh, Miriam sent Winnie a box of mustard filled donuts. Uh, Winnie sprayed Beelzebub on Miriam's lawn in Weed Killer, uh, all of these things for over the years, over the death of Miriam's cat for which uh, Miriam holds Winnie responsible. But it turns out that Winnie can see Miriam and talk to her, which means according to the laws of my universe, she herself is on the cusp of death because the dying can see the dead. Uh, so there's now a race against time uh, to try and find out who killed Miriam so that she can proceed to the afterlife, to try and find out what is happening with Winnie, why she's dying in a few days' time, and try and stop that, and generally have a bit of a laugh and sell hundreds of thousands of copies along the way. <laughs> Love it. <laughs> in a nutshell. You could not have gone further from children's literature had you tried. <laughs> no, no. It's like, go big or go home, I say. So the, the first time I... I dropped an F-bomb in this book. I was like, yeah. it's like the first time you say, you know, in front of your mum or something. It was yeah. like, and I did, I actually, I actually emailed my editor and said, can I say? And he went, yeah, knock <laughs> yourself out, chick. You're at the grown-ups table yeah, now. Yeah, you're allowed, you're with adults. You're allowed to do right. what you like. Yeah. It's post nine o'clock. All the kids are in bed. You're good. <laughs> Go and it was when well, I narrate I narrate the audiobook for Over My Dead Body as well. And still, I'm 44 year old woman, and every time I said a swear word, I just thought, Oh god, my mum's gonna hear this. Like, oh no, she's she's she be so proud. There's my daughter cursing horrifically on Audible. Well done, dear. We're so, we're so pleased. Yeah, and I love that you did the audiobook as well. That's that's incredibly cool. It must be very surreal. Um, it's well, I, I've done most of my children's ones as well, and I'll be totally honest, Danny, I hate it. <laughs> you'll get, I hate it for any number of reasons. One, you're put in an egg box for like two days straight, three days straight, uh, with literally, I mean, and every time I record an audiobook, we have a heat wave. It's like if you if you go on holiday, ask me if you're doing a staycation, just find out when my next audiobook record is because I can guarantee it will be 35 degrees in the shade. Um, perfect. So, awful so you're there and of course you can't have air conditioning on because it's a recording studio so you're sitting in this sweaty egg box for three days but the worst things I in common with a lot of people of course I hate the sound of my own voice yep. uh, you know I've got this voice which is particularly awful so you've got to listen to yourself for like three days in these massive headphones. And then you've got to, you know, so it's bad on a just, you know, perimenopausal you know, thermostat level. It's really bad on a self-loathing voice level. But then as an author, it truly sucks. You don't read your book. So yeah. you read it and you go, And then you're oh, like, oh, I should have changed that bit. Oh, I'm sure I used bellowed, you know, two words ago. Or yeah. really, is everyone saying everything incredulously now, Maz? Is that what's going on? So. <laughs> It's just <laughs> painful in every single way. But I swore after this one I wouldn't do any more. But funny enough, I've just been sent the voiceover castings for my new children's book. And I'm like, I'm going to have to do this myself. I can't, I can't sit and listen to someone else doing it. It's just. That's just... so funny. So I'm so sweaty egg box. So tell me when your next holiday is Yeah, due. I need to know when I want to go away. Yeah. Early September, I'd say. We're due, we're due a massive. It is always hot in early September, to be fair. 
It's always and it will be. I can guarantee you it will be because I'm in the sweaty egg box. You're in the egg box. So you're about to melt to death. <laughs> so, yeah. So enjoy that. Have a nice pint at a beer garden for me well, somewhere. Great time. The kids go back to school. I'll be sat outside in a garden somewhere. You'll be locked in a box. And I'll, and I'll basically be in a hostage situation in a, in a basement recording studio. It is the pits. But I've had such lovely feedback from doing it. People, I think, quite like the author reading their own book. Yeah. And so um so yes it's 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 been a thing but um yeah having sworn off I'm like um Steve Redgrave you know getting out of the boat in the Olympics every time I say I'm going to retire I get they knock back. me back in but I had more on calls and status quo so uh, so yes we'll see how it goes and I was going to ask you how this process varies so you know I don't know a great deal about writing for children I have them neither do I <laughs> I've read the books but how does it compare when you're going to go and write an, an adult novel what is the planning like? How does it differ? So in terms of the structural stuff, it's the same for me. I'm a massive team planner. And yeah. I mean, I like to think I'm a fairly open-minded human. And I think, you know, one of the problems of this world is we're all shouting too much and not listening enough. And if we all just shut up and listened, I think we all get on a lot better. But your pantses are wrong. I mean, it's just wrong. Just wrong, wrong, wrong. No, I'm, I'm a planner. I like to plan. Right. So thank goodness I'm insane company here because I don't get how anyone could do it. And particularly with an adult novel, and particularly, of course, when you're writing a murder mystery like I am, plotting is everything for me because all those loose ends need to tie up. And I can spot a pantser. I can spot a pantser when I read their books because there, there isn't that forensic, some might say, anal level of detail that I go into uh, to make sure everything kind of joins together. So so in terms of like the, the preparation, both processes are the same for me, that I plan and I plan and I plan and I plan and I plan. Two, I mean, I'm, I'm writing a new children's book at the moment, so I, I can show you this isn't much good on the, a podcast, I realize, but I'm holding oh, up. wow, you've got 20 pages. Like word table of literally everything that happens in this book with titles and notes and whose point of view it's going to be. beautifully in. laid out it's, as well. In, really is much much neater than the book <laughs> so, yeah, I'll tell you for free but let's get there like the shed it looks very good in the early stages yeah, but yeah. give it a couple of days and I'll ruin both um but I um and for me the the the, the the usual argument against planning very heavily is that it sort of stifles your creativity yeah. and then you're sort of stuck for me the absolute reverse is true because I've done all that heavy lifting and authors we have to do it at some point anyway you know you can't yeah dodge it you can't dodge the draft you have to do all that structural thinking at some point for me I would much rather do it when there are zero words on the page than when there are 90,000 words on the page it's like I always compare it to an architect's plan you know if you do an architectural plan of a house and you want to move the bathroom it's a lot easier on the plan than when you plumb the yeah. thing in you know on the side of the house in the wrong place and for me planning is that so those two processes are very similar, in fact, exactly the same. And um, the difference really comes in content and sensibility. Of course, I've, I mean, I've written 14 children's books and one adult book, so the scales aren't, aren't entirely set, set right. But um, it's what you can talk about. And almost, I mean, I think writing for adults is much easier in my experience because you're much freer. There are lots of things... I'm aware of as a children's author that I'm not aware of as an adult. So um, for instance, in an adult's book, you don't feel the same need to convey messaging that you do. And you don't have to be careful about the messaging that you're conveying. That's not to say that you can be you know, offensive or you know, dishonest or any of those things, but you don't have to feel that everything needs to lead back to, to, to a positive message. And even if you put something negative in a book, you have to portray it as a children's author in a way that there is some light, some hope at yeah. the end of that particular tunnel. And that can be quite difficult. You know, I've got, um, it was a huge challenge in Who Let the Gods Out because 
Elliot, my protagonist, his mother has early onset dementia. Yeah. And I was very, very clear. I felt really a very big ethical responsibility about that because it's something that's touched my family. Elliot and his mum's story is based a lot on my story with my grandmother who had dementia and there is no magic cure. And it would be wrong to even suggest for a moment to children that there is. So to try to find a resolution for a character with early onset dementia, that is hopeful and not just unrelentingly bleak and awful is really difficult. And it's the same when you do children's books deal with a lot of very difficult subjects very well, I think, and, and very sensitively. But that's really hard when you've got to be mindful of that. Whereas in, in, in adult writing, you know, I find it much freer because you're not constrained quite by the happy ending. You know, you can people can be a little bit more complicated. And that's not to say children's characters aren't complicated, but you just have to think about them this side different way and constantly, I feel such, and I know all children's authors do, such a strong sense of responsibility as a children's author about the words and ideas that I'm putting in a child's mind and that they can't all just be my ideas and the way I see the world. You know, I have to represent other viewpoints, otherwise that, that wouldn't be right and fair. Um, that I don't want to leave children feeling scared or anxious, any more anxious than this world is, is already making them. And so I think it's much more restrictive. And um, I think in both genres, there's um, a really strong sense of uh, making sure that you're representing without appropriating, but that is particularly a very big conversation in children's. I suspect it'll move more into the adult space, but for instance, there are characters I would probably write as an adult author that I wouldn't write as a children's author. That's not to say I would appropriate things in the adult yeah. space, but there are just, yeah, it's, it's a different conversation in the, in the two worlds and a very important conversation and one, again, I feel a huge responsibility towards. So honestly, I mean, the only thing about adult books, they're longer. <laughs> you just got to throw more words at them. But other yeah. than that, conceptually, ethically, all of those things, I, I have found it easier being an adult author than I have being a children's author. There's less, less noise in my head when I'm doing it. And you've kind of been cut loose with this story with Over My Dead Body. Where did Dr. Price come from? Where did this story come from for you? She's basically me before the HRT, I think. <laughs> I mean, everybody's just, you know, people, she's going to be a Marmite proposition. Um, and it was interesting. I mean, so it's been a really interesting evolution with this story because like I say, I first wrote it in 2010. In 2010, I was what, 31? Um, in you would have been a year younger than me. <laughs> a, mere, a, a mere baby, daddy, a mere girl child of 31. Um, and now I'm the same age as Miriam. I'm 44. And she's always been 44 ever since I wrote her. And it's been wow. really interesting to, yeah, which is, I kind of like that. I love, I'm, I'm not a woman of religious faith, but I love it when life, you know, dishes up moments like that. It's like, I just wasn't ready to write the book. And truthfully, I wasn't ready to write a book about a 44-year-old woman because what really scares me actually is my own internalized ageism in the early drafts about it's all about you know tenor pads and and you know hot flushes and you know, all of these things are real and personal. Yeah. Enjoy those 30s, my dear. <laughs> I might not be able to be much help with film scripts, but the perimenopause, I am a stone cold expert. So enjoy it, my love, whilst it lasts. <laughs> and um I so Miriam's kind of literally grown up with me. But what was really interesting was when over my dead body went out on submission. Now I was really uh, I was not quite arrogant, but I was confident that I've sold half a million books in 20 yeah. countries around the world. I'm like, ha, here you go, kids, fight over this manuscript. Like, don't you? I'll sit here and I'll count the coin. Crickets. 
Danny. Oh, <laughs> I'm in crickets when this book went out because a lot of a lot of acquiring editors are women your age, and all power to it. Hallelujah, fantastic news. But of course, to them, Miriam is not entirely relatable. And I said it would take a middle-aged woman or a man to acquire this novel. And sadly, and don't get me started on this, all the middle-aged women are being pushed out of publishing. So it was option B. So it was the only man on the list, the wonderful Toby Jones, my brilliant editor, uh, who acquired it. And I think that's no coincidence. But what's been interesting is since it's been out on NetGalley and it's been out sort of in the world a little bit, women my age, of course, are going, yay, yes, we, yeah. we really relate to this woman because we're 44 and we're feed off you know we're fed up with being invisible we're fed up with no one listening to us because Miriam being dead is a very heavy-handed allegory for how it feels when you turn 40 and literally it's like someone switched you off I mean I I went into the pandemic having just turned 40 and I came out at 42 and it was like I, I'd just been forgotten I mean it was and I'm not someone who's easy to forget Danny I'm loud and I'm in your face and I'm irritating and you know, not for any of the good reasons but I'm quite hard to ignore and yet and yet and yet so I think so I love Miriam because she says all the things that I don't have the nerve to she has some rougher edges we need to smooth off during the course of the book she, she makes some poor choices and, and does some unkind things that uh, hopefully she grows and gets better up through the book but it's been really interesting to see publishing's response versus dare I say the real world's response to her yeah but that's I, interesting she will, yeah she will be uh yeah because I love publishing but we can exist in a bit of an echo chamber I think sometimes and what publishing thinks it wants and what someone on a sun lounger wants to read aren't always the same thing so I'm so grateful to, to Toby and to Headline it, you know in all sincerity because they have got behind this book that nobody wanted like my, my own mother didn't want this book like nobody wanted to publish this book and they, they they're getting it in front of the people who I think will really enjoy it so um so yes I'm sorry that's not really an answer to your question no, but I think so, yes it says a lot about media as a whole though because I think mm -hmm. again when you see films that involve women over the age of 40 they're either like still impossibly glamorous yeah yeah somehow, yeah or they're like decrepit there's no yeah. like in between no, absolutely not. Pitch real women, people love them. Well, this is it. and the thing is, you don't actually, please God, die when you turn forty. You know, I feel I've got all the fire in my belly I had, you know, when I was in my twenties. I've probably got a bit more wisdom in my gob than I had in my twenties. Hopefully, my loud and wrong days are a little bit behind me. I'm just loud now and write about everything. Um, but you know, you you do learn and you do grow. But it's media is obsessed with well, it's not even youth I mean you know I don't think I'm pretty old at 44 but I don't think you're old yeah at that's how it's even 30 I mean like I watched I re-watched Friends a while ago I watched a couple of episodes and they're meant to be in their 20s and I remember watching that thinking how the hell do they all have these huge apartments no it's gonna be like it's a downtown it's ridiculous and it, and there is this kind of exactly like the narrative about older women you can be either the glamorous childless woman who didn't yeah. have kids and she wants it all and she's now boss bitch or you're the downtrodden mum although I say this in my scrotty Primark t-shirt and my I've been to the tip today Danny so that's the glamour of my life so I am every stereotype I'm about to criticise but the downtrodden mum whose life just didn't quite work out the way she wanted yeah yep. now she's got the kids and she's kind of given up on herself and on life and I hate that I 
hate that. I'm at the height of my powers. I think I'm the best version of me I've ever been. The bar is low, Danny. Like Matt's, Matt's 44.0 is still a very, very flawed, 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 flawed. The only way it was up, but it's been not been a steep incline. <laughs> exactly. It's been a very gradual ascent. It's a stellar stair lift of inclines. <laughs> That like a really gentle walk along Snowdonia. That's really been my character growth. It's not when you glass escalates. The thing as well is celebrities as well. I feel like I've noticed they're getting younger and younger oh, yeah. and younger. Yeah. yeah. And you know, I even when I was young, you know, you had celebrities who were George Clooney, forties, <laughs> Brad Pitt, forties, and you know, forties. And suddenly they're like twelve. Yes, totally. And they're impossibly famous. And they're, you know. Kylie Jenner is a billionaire at like 21. And it's this idea of, well, you kind of aged out. Once you hit 30, you've aged out of ever being a success. Well, that's it. And again, but also that horribly toxic and dangerous narrative for women, particularly, I'm sorry, it is for women. Um, and for anybody who has, who biologically has children, um, there is the time out. And, you know, there, there is still at this point in time, there is no way around it. And, uh, you know, parental leave is getting better, you know, as, as family structures evolve, yay for all of that, it is getting better. But the fact is, if you have to biologically take some time out to have a child, that is going to impact on your career. But what it doesn't mean is that you, you've lost, you've missed it. Like the trains left the station and you weren't on it. It means you might have to reschedule. Might have yeah. to the scenic route that is exactly where I'm at. So I, <laughs> I have my children at 26 and I'm now, you know, I've taken seven years to raise my kids which is great but now I'm looking I'm thinking well I'm basically unemployable <laughs> so it took seven years so I've gone back to university I'm like do you know what? I actually don't want to go back to working admin I'm not going to go if I'm going to go back to work and I'm going to stop being a lady of pleasure I'm going to do it yeah exactly. something I want to do so but the thing is honestly you're probably going to be better at that now than you are at 26 and I'm sorry I'm multitask like I'm a sure you now. are incredible at 26 but the fact is you've grown you've raised a family I mean you are now an expert in multitasking conflict resolution mental health care uh <laughs> doing 59 plates spinning all at once and this is a thing that and what disappoints me most is when this narrative comes from other women, because yeah. it's, you are a turkey voting for Christmas. <laughs> it is coming your way, people. <laughs> so the more that women fuel ageism, the worse you're making it for yourself. And it's it's my absolute bandwagon. And of course, as is the way when you have the, uh, the, the privilege and entitlement of youth, I just thought it was middle-aged women moaning until I got there myself. And I, then, also, I am only in my 30s. And even now I'm like, oh my God, they were right. Yes, yes. And it's and then you know you've just got through babies and divorces and house moves yep. and your career you've done it all and then your hormones fall out your bum and you can't do anything. I've got a brain like a Dickensian novel. I go every day my body throws up some new. Oh, I know. Let's just grow hair on that, or we'll make that a bit spottier, or let's just have that bit fall off altogether. It's like what the actual hell? Being <laughs> a woman is never just easy, and I know you know. It's not I always perfect being a man, but I really do feel, you know, puberty seems so much rougher for us. And then yeah. you become in your twenties and you know, your hormones are just subsiding. And then, you know, you've got to deal with workplaces. You've got, and then yeah. you, you decide to have children. That's just a whole heap of shit. Then you have babies yeah. and it's worse. And then it just, just ends. 
And I've just got, you know, we were speaking before we came on about, you know, you've got younger children, all my yep. children teenagers now. I've just got to the point, there are no sports days. I haven't got to bake cupcakes. Nobody has dressed up as, you know, Willy Wonka for years now. And I'm like, this is my moment. This is my moment. Yep. And I will say though, I have to, to balance this because one thing I don't like is the narrative of, of midlife misery because it is, it just, as you've just said, at every stage, there are challenges. And there are things that I found very empowering, actually, about, about turning 40. So the, the primary one of which, and if I can gift this to you, Danny, with my, with my extra decade on this planet, it is the word no. Oh, Take it, yeah. cherish it, use it. Because, and again, I, I, and I don't mean to, to, to stereotype along gender lines, because how, how tedious is that? But it's, it's an observation that I notice when women can't do something, they tend to proffer an explanation as to why they can't do yeah. it. Whereas men are much better just saying, I can't do that, give me another time. So I'll be like, well, but the kids have got sports day and yeah. uh, <laughs> my progesterone's just run out. I'm really sorry, uh, can we do this? It's the way around it. Yeah. But what I learned when I turned 40 is you could just say, no, I can't do that. Would you like me to do it another time? And 999,000 times, Everyone goes, yeah, of course, it's fine. Yeah. <laughs> because, yeah. So, so Wednesday is a Tuesday. Great. The world keeps turning. Literally, no one dies. Yeah. And you're, not doing, you're not doing the other thing that happens if you don't say no, which is tying yourself in yeah. knots. So kind of do this sort of thing. But no, no one ha- no one gives you a bubble. No one hands out. No one gives you a cupcake. You know, nobody goes, well done, Maz. You nearly killed yourself to do that short video. Don't get me started on short videos. Uh, you know, goes, um, we'll put it up on Twitter for four people to watch and uh, you just go and sit quietly and take the lithium. I mean, nobody realises what you do and they don't care in the best, most empowering possible way. No, they don't care. Really care. <laughs> you know, they're perfectly happy. For you to you do think people time. are going to be sat there going, oh my God, she said no to something. She didn't do a Let short video. She. <laughs> what a bitch. And actually, <laughs> they don't care nobody cares about your life as much as you do so get in the driving seat and drive it um because i i did this for a long time because it's that and i think particularly when you've become a mother or a parent there is also that sense of you've got to claw back the time that you've lost so there's two or three times as many things as any normal functioning human being should be allowed to do because you've got to get those years back and i just think we've got to change the script on this because it's Actually, uh, there's a reason. I mean, uh, lovely as it is the way it's worked out, I'm now the age of my character. I couldn't have written this book as well tw- no. 12 years ago. I just wouldn't have written it as well as I wrote it. And like I say, I'm not making any claims for the quality today, but I needed to be at this point in my life. To, and you probably need to be at this point in your life to do the things that yeah, you're doing. Yeah, that's very, very true. That's very true. You know, I don't think you value it in quite the same way. And I know, for instance, like I've always, I had my first child at 26 as well, when all my friends were out partying and having the yep. best time. And I'm like, <laughs> I miss everywhere which by the way that's sort of kind of coming making a comeback too um but you know when all my friends were in their fabulous 20s I thought oh my god you know I am massively what have I done yeah what have I done um and and it's crossed my mind many times over the years that perhaps I should have waited till I had greater stability and um more financial freedom and the things that have come with with a bit more age but actually I went through the menopause at 38 
So I wouldn't have been able to have those babies later. If yeah. I'd have left it, I wouldn't have had my kids. So it's, and I know it doesn't always work out as neatly and tidily as that for everybody, but like, I'm, I'm so pleased I did what I did because in the fullness of time, it's become clear it wouldn't have been an option for me to do it another way. So, you know, I, th- I think life tends to know what it's doing in most instances. Finds a way to quote. Finds a way, yeah. Just exactly. That came from Jurassic Park. Jurassic Park, which actually is an excellent analogy for my children who are all teenagers. <laughs> Oh, no, a load of violently yapping carnivores who should be put on an island for a few years so they can't hurt anybody. I thought I was being so profound then. <laughs> and I just quoted Dr. Ian Malcolm. Um, <laughs> but look, what we should do now is we need to... I am very excited for your novel evening because I think you've said you've got quite a list. We've got some plan Bs. We've got some backups. So I think this is going to be quite a gathering you've got planned. Yeah, it's going to be messy. It's going to, don't, everyone needs to take the morning off work the next day. It's going to be one yeah. of those. Okay, okay. So first and foremost, where are we going to go for your evening? Because that's very important. It is important. Now, I, I thought about this long and hard. And a very specific place we're going to go actually, which is a restaurant in East Sheen, just near um, near Richmond in London. Yeah. Um, and it's called Mamma Mia. And it's an Italian restaurant run by three siblings, uh, Leonardo, Joe and Rosa, who are all now in their 60s and 70s. Yeah. And they've run this restaurant since in, you know, in time memoriam. Um, and this was the seat of many wonderful family occasions for me and things with friends. They're a proper, they're the place you want to find when you want to find this place. It's like a family run. Rosa and Joe do all the cooking. Leonardo has been doing this for a million years. Um, they just bring you food. You basically sit there and they feed and drink you until you burst. And it is joyful. And it's a really special place for me and my family because we've had so many lovely times there. Also, just on a practical note, who doesn't love Italian? You know, well, you're not everybody. a problem, are you? Like everyone will eat a spaghetti carbonara. So there's not, you know, because I love like Mexican food and I love Greek food. I love all sorts of other things. But if someone isn't big on that hummus, yeah, I don't want that for my dinner party. So yeah. I, you know, and there's pizza, there's passes, ice cream. Safe option, a good Italian good one, is safe. You know, yeah. So I think we're safe. And, you know, you've all got breadsticks to start, which I think do a big service in a boozy dinner party. So oh, we're going to yeah. go to, we're going to go to Mamma Mia. However, be honest, I'm back to the shed because I'm a bit shed obsessed at the moment. I'd quite like to have a little drinks party here first in my shed because I've got the fairy lights up. It's quite okay. nice. I've got, I've got me, I've got me. Um, I won't say the you're, name. You're pre-drinking. But I've got my, I've got my Echo Dot. So, uh, you know, we can have a bit of soft jazz, something just to set the tone. There is a hundred miles between these two points, unfortunately, because I live in Bournemouth. But I'm, do you know what? I'm, Bournemouth, are you? I used to be. I used to in Bournemouth. I know it very well. We'll have a we'll have a little catch up about where in Bournemouth you are. Well, you can see why we're not going out in Bournemouth then. Yeah. <laughs> um, That's a whole different evening out. I'm, it's a, it really is, and a short one these days, in my experience, because you don't want to get into a fight and get stabbed. So, um, so no, we love you, Bournemouth. You're lovely when the sun shines, but best go home and the. Yep after dusk um this is magic it's a magic party there's a way to get from a to b oh no i'm sorry no i'm sorry you just saw my 20 page plan for my novel oh god i forgot yeah so i'm on the sparkling elderflower presse at this stage in the evening i've got my u drive i'll get us all up there because oh wow party vibes in the party bus because it's gonna be a couple hours up to up to here so we'll have i'm also it's my dinner party so i'll start about 11 o'clock in the morning anyway so uh, we've got we've got time on our side so a couple of uh, heart starters in maddie's shed uh, and then i'll get get in the minibus 
and I'll drive us all up to London because I'll do that. And I'm going to get one of those deals where you get to drop it in London because I'm straight on, on Leonardo's Prosecco as soon as we walk yeah. in the door. But yeah, so so drinks in the shed and then off to Mamma Mia. Okay, okay. So who's going to be the first person to pre-drink before the party bus? Uh, Miriam Margulies, who's my first. Oh, oh my goodness. Oh, she's there. And frankly... I don't, I don't want to be rude about my other imaginary guests, but if no one else comes, Miriam and I are going to have a right old party. Oh, Miriam is one of the reasons that Miriam is called Miriam because that one, she's one of those people I know we're friends. She just doesn't know it yet. <laughs> and I know that sounds slightly legally and ethically dubious, but we're, we're, we are going to get on like a house on fire, me and Miriam. And uh, so, and she'd just be wonderful, wouldn't she? I would she'd be, be fine. Right. If I've got to go, if I've got to nip out and replenish the twiglets, Miriam's going to keep the party going. You know, I don't think there's going to be no awkward silences, and it's going to be glorious. So she's, I should imagine, she'd preload quite heavily. The first person to name her actually, which is very surprising. And I know she because she's an author, obviously she's a writer, so yeah. I think she's, I'm allowed her on the brief. But also, like, we're just going to change the rules if she's not because she's Miriam Margulies and why? Yeah, they're so very just, flexible. I've, I'm glad you're not being too restrictive with my totally imaginary dinner party. Yeah. I've, already, I've already put the deposit down on the imaginary you drive. So I don't want to not get my imaginary money back on this. If I don't think I care enough to put rules in place. I'm like, yeah, it's fine. <laughs> I think that's I've read a book once. It's all right. Yeah. It worked with me in contraceptive. That's why I've got three children in three years. So, you know, it's it's fine. Um, so yeah, Miriam, she's first through the door. I don't think she arrived early actually, but she she'd be great fun on the bus. Can you imagine a couple of hours up the M3 with Miriam Marlowe's at New Drive? Okay. Who's gonna who's who else is joining us? Now I've I've ruined my list. It's, it's very woman-heavy list because there's a lot of yeah. women I admire, but a couple of boys have snuck on the list. Now this Quite a stark contrast to Miriam Margulies. We're also going to have John Steinbeck, who I think wow. would be, you know, because I think you've got a variety at a dinner party, haven't you? You can't have everyone being loud and gobby. And Miriam and I are going to hold court. Yeah. He was so, known for being a lot of fun, was he, John Steinbeck? I read, but you get him in a U-drive with Miriam Margulies, and I think it's <laughs> a very different matter. Like, I, to be fair, I don't think she'd be intimidated either. She wouldn't no, care who he was. Shut up, John, with your lengthy descriptions of the, yeah, <laughs> of the sharecroppers. Enough. Here you go. Have another. Have another gin, dear. Um, <laughs> it'd be great. So I think she'd bring John out of himself, but I think he'd bring a sort of degree of decorum to the party, and I think he'd write he'd write a thank you note, wouldn't he? I mean, he'd write all of that. I mean, it'd be about forty-seven pages long, but he'd write a lovely thank you. He'd note. write a story about this night. He really would, yeah, of Prosecco and Miriam, and it would just be the grapes of Maz. It would be extraordinary. <laughs> and I have been a massive John Steinbeck fan since I was. Uh, I've been a fan of John Steinbeck. That's quite the right. I mean, I'm not. I will be honest. I will not tell him that at your party. But I remember doing. Oh my goodness! What awkward! You've made it awkward. Of mice and men is probably the one. Yeah, it was of mice and bloody men. We did it at school. And actually, I'm really mean because I do call my son Lenny. I love him so much, but he's such an overzealous hugger. So bless we call him, him Lenny. But oh, bless him. I would, I would just do the polite thing and say, yeah, I love your work. It'd be fine. School is, school is responsible for ruining so many books, though, isn't it? I can't ever read Hardy. Put me right no, off. No, no. 
put me off um Tony Morrison it managed to put me off Tony Morrison and then I went back and I, I was like this is brilliant <laughs> this is absolutely extraordinary so yeah school school ruins food and school ruins ruin a lot of things oh they really do when they're being forced down you like a foie gras it absolutely ruins the love doesn't it so so I think but I but I love him and it seems quite an enigmatic character to me because like me he just likes sitting in his shed yeah nice shed on the seafront he's sitting right but I think we all need to get out the shed sometimes and I think yeah night night down Leonardo's with with Miriam Marbleau's and you know in a Prosecco in the U drive I think John I think well I think he'll surprise us all okay okay this is now going to hinge a little bit on who your next guest is and what vibes you're bringing here because you've gone very opposite so what have we got next well, now, who's been left? I think I'm going to go. This is a character which I'm writing at the moment. So one of the, I think as we've gathered already, Danny, in 44 minutes, quite a lot of things get, <laughs> get on my nerves. Um, and um, another one is the way that women are often been portrayed and certainly have been portrayed through um, literature and history that if you've got anything about you, you must be a witch. Uh, or if you don't think about you, you know, you must be awful in some um, in some way, shape or form. And I think very few characters have suffered at the hands of this as much as Morgan Le Fay from Arthur. Oh, yeah, poor Morgan. Now, poor, and I'd say this, she is actually the villain of my new series. So I'm kind <laughs> of perpetuating the hates. But um, I, I'm going to make up, I'm going to write her in another in another way, another time. And um, But I think I'd like to see, you know, would the real Morgan Le Fay please stand up? Because I suspect that she, She's just a badass and um you know she's, a, she's an enchantress so she could bring a bit of magic again if the twiglets have run out and Miriam's just you know lost her voice or she's having a quiet or John Steinbeck's upset her then I reckon you know Morgan Le Fay could do some close-up magic you know or, or something that again is going to keep people entertained. If we told Miriam the thing about you know potentially sleeping with her half-brother that would spark all sorts of conversation because well, Miriam asked her about that. You know Dorset, and so do I. <laughs> we're, both, we're, both, we're both aware of what goes no, on. I'm from deepest, darkest Dorset as well. Whereabouts? So Whereabouts? I'm from Bridport originally. I'm from Blanford, right? Blanford Forum originally. Oh, we, we know. Down the road, yeah, <laughs> well, right. The smudge. I'm, I mean more, we probably know the area we're thinking of. So no, we'll Bridport, Bridport is a thriving megatropolis <laughs> next it to culture and civilization next to Blanford Forum. Believe you me, it is. When I was a teenager there, I can before Broadchurch happened, before David Tennant got down there, it was absolutely not a hub of anything apart no. from delinquency. And now it's become very trendy, it's become very bougie, and I cannot afford to live there anymore. So. Blanford's still a dump, so that hasn't uh, that hasn't hasn't changed in four. I'm sorry, Blanford. I'm very grateful that you raised me, but come on, sort it out, love. Um, so um, yes, yeah, so I think so. Yeah, Morgan Morgan Le Fay. Yep, yeah, she's she's lived, hasn't she? She's some, possibly, she's seen some things. She's lived some lives. Bit of style icon as well. She's going to bring yeah. the glamour. Isn't might she? be a little confused by the the U drive. That might confuse her a little bit, but we'll figure it out. She can just take her fingers and get there, actually. In fact, I might be able to get a smaller vehicle if we have more clever. I might be able to get a deposit. I might be able to get a six-seater if she's not coming, which will save me. So we've got a few guests left then. Oh, no, we got, we got, we've seen the 20-page list, yeah, I mean, oh, we could, we could, when you said we get a six-seater, I was like, doing the maths, and I was like, oh, this isn't as big as I thought it was going to be. <laughs> well, we could, we, 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 we,
down a bit because I say, I'm not sure. Now I think about it. Steinbeck might not get in the U drive. I think he's going to turn up to be polite for drinks. And then and he's then going he to. might not come. Right. Yeah. No, I, I can see I that. He, he might bail before dinner. I think he's going to bail before dinner. I think he's going to peak at peak at the cheese footballs, and yeah. then he's going to want he's going to want to go. I think there's going to be too much big ovary energy for Steinbeck in this room. Yeah. Um, uh, I say Steinbeck. He's he's a pre-drinks. He's a bit of he's a bit of conversation at the pre-drinks. Then yeah. he'll probably head home before the U drive. I think I think he'll go back to his shed. And he'll have all the material he needs. I mean, he would have spoken to Morgan Le Fay over, over the cheese fondue. So I suspect he'll have all kinds of things um, things to do. So, uh, so yeah, I'm, yeah, he might not make it, actually. But Morgan Le Fay, let's, let's see the cut of your jib, Morgan. You didn't get the chance to tell us. So I'd like to... Oh, she could be a nightmare, of course. She could be an absolute nightmare. This whole thing could be a nightmare, to be honest well, with you. <laughs> risk I'm willing to take for my own entertainment but you know don't just don't ruin the vibe of the u-drive morgan that's all i'm saying don't you know don't don't We've got miriam and morgan in the u-drive who's gonna rock up next i do feel like this is hinging very much on your next few guests as well, well now, I've, i picked somebody that you've never had i suspect now i'm going to pick someone that you always get but i get more claim to him than anybody else because i've literally been a fan since forever and that is oscar wilde now people say oscar wilde they think they should because basically he's like stephen fry oh, oscar wilde i thought he'd be on list Oscar Wilde. Now I'm going to put him probably between Miriam and Morgan because I think I, I it's a good seating plan because I think he could take him. You know, he could he could absorb and thrive in that environment. He'd and to them, he'd he'd be very witty with them. Diffuse any tension good. if it starts yeah. getting salty. I think Oscar's going to bring it right back, bring the fun, bring the party vibes back, and I think he's he's kind of got that. So if, and have a, he's very <laughs> loose. He'll do very well with Miriam. She'll like that. I think so. And, I, you know, Oscar Wilde, we've talked about women who, you know, have not been sort of you know, born in the right time and for whom expectations... I mean, yeah, Oscar Wilde, you know, what a fabulous member of the literary scene would he be in 2023? And, of course, alas, uh, the human race, he was not allowed to be that when he was around. So the thought of him being out and proud with Miriam round the breadsticks at Leonardo's, I'm there, Steinbeck's bailed, uh, he's the only other boy on the list... So he's gonna, he's gonna hold God. He's gonna be there with all of we girls, absolutely going mad for him. So I think, I think he's gonna do well, Oscar. He's gonna be a big hit. Is Oscar our only man who's coming? Now? He is now because he's been Steinbeck. back to his shed. Steinbeck. Too much for him. He cannot cope. He's gone. No, so he's not an honorary male. He's put a couple of you know salmon blinis in a napkin and he's he's taken them home. He's gone. So Oscar, but I think Oscar's gonna mind that. I think he's gonna like I say, I think he's gonna do well under these yeah. circumstances. So uh so yeah, he's there. And I think it's yeah, he's gonna do well in this in this company of women. Okay. So you're saying a company, who have we got next? So now, I'm, unfortunately, I, I'm gonna. Some of the people who aren't quite gonna make it, I'm afraid. So obviously, I write crime things. So Agatha Christie would obviously be um, be a contender, but she's got knocked out of the party because I was like, "There's only so big a U drive I can afford." Yep. You know, I, I'm on eight percent, and I only get paid twice. And a do year. you know what? I live in. I live literally in Agatha Christie's hometown, and I'm in Torbay. And I've never read an Agatha Christie novel. So that would be very <laughs> awkward. Because I'd, I'd say, oh, I live in Paynton. And she'd be like, oh, I live there. And I'd be like, 
yeah, I didn't, didn't. But you did, but you'd have that awkward conversation that you have as an author a lot of the time when you say, so Agatha, what do you do? And she'll say, oh, actually, I'm a a, a writer. And you say, have you had anything published? And it would just be really awkward because you'd be like, yes, 279 novels and, uh, you know, one of the best-selling writers in creation. And you'd go, so what about the cost for it in Torbay, though, huh? And I I don't want that for you. You've been a very gracious host and you've bent the rules. I don't want that for you. So I'm Agatha, glad she's not late. She always makes the cut, and everyone's like, "Do you like Christy?" And I'm like, "Yeah, yes, I think she's great. I like the like her. of them. There were none. Do they like her enough to pony up for an extra seat in the U drive, though? That's the thing. Yeah, I, that's the thing. Because okay, she's, she's been replaced. She's been replaced by another uh, woman uh, of a uh, of distinguished, brilliant age. Because I'm one of the things I explored over my dead body. I about something else it's been oh three and a half minutes since Maz has gone I was about something so off we pop and um, I am a massive fan in life and in art of intergenerational friendships but you know especially intergenerational female friendships and a lot of my friends are older than me and I'm so grateful to them so when for instance the perimenopause hit me around the head with a cudgel um I don't know what was going on and I was so grateful to friends who were 10 years older than me who went think the fact that you've divorced your husband three times before dinner uh, while sweating and growing body hair out of your teeth might be a sign that you want to get and so I'm so grateful to all the women who've come before me who have made it possible for me to have a family and work have my bank account have a contraception and an abortion if I so choose who are now doing such great work to raise awareness of the parent menopause and menopause which has been shrouded in mystery and shame I don't know how women went through it I don't know how they did it um before all of this so I'm a huge fan of women who are older than me who've literally blazed a trail for me to in, enjoy behind so I want a kick-ass you know woman who's older than me there and I say Agatha I'm sure she's great but the woman I've actually chosen is Joyce from the Thursday Murder Club. Um, oh, who, you actually, I've had Joyce before. But she's also, but you can't just have Joyce because you have to have Elizabeth as well. Oh, okay. So you've got to have the pair. got to have the pair, which is why Agatha ain't in the minibus anymore because I needed another seat. So I'm sorry, Agatha. But you can't have the two of them. I, don't, I think it's, it's a great shame in our industry that we have to diss what is popular. And sometimes it's absolute crud. I'm trying to think of a children's author who's doing really well, whose books are absolute rubbish. (laughs) Names escape me. Um, But um, celebrity children's authors, oh, sorry, how long have you got? Um, And that I don't agree with. But actually, I think the Thursday Murder Club books are brilliant. And I don't want to. I want to be grumpy and resentful and miserable and say I don't understand it. But actually, I think Richard Osmond is a brilliant writer. And if anybody else had written those books, they'd just be held up as brilliant books. Because it's Richard Osmond off the telly, we're not allowed to like them. Um, and actually, they're brilliant. And I think they're also a great example of a series that gets better as it goes along. Mm-hmm. So full disclosure, Richard, please don't hate me. Richard Osmond. All right, that's it. Um, that's it. I'm spoofing up for the bigger minibus. We're getting him in as well. He'd be come as well. Okay, we've got Stephen. He'd do very well. I might not have to, you might have to miss out on the canapes because I've got John here and I don't think I can do both. But he can probably get, he lives in London. He can jump on the ground to Mortlake Station. He'll be there 20 minutes from Waterloo. He'll be fine. Um, It's easy walk. He'll be fine, Richard. Um, But I think the books get better as they go along and the way those characters develop as we go through it, particularly Joyce and Elizabeth and their friendship. 
And there's this glorious thing at the heart of Thursday Murder Club because, again, I don't like the sort of narrative of older people. So we're talking about being in your 40s, but when it's like in your 70s, you're either superhuman yep. or dead, you know, and again, yep. what yep. nonsense. <laughs> but there is that tension at the heart of it of these people know and it touches on this year there's the home in the Thursday Murder Club sort of complex that where you go when it's not you know it's like never let uh, never let me go it's there's this kind yeah, of sense yeah. of, you know you know where you're going next and so you've got to enjoy every minute because you don't know when it's going to be taken away from you or the people around you are going to be taken away from you and I love that I think it's such a throbbing heart at the heart of the Thursday murder club you've got you know you've got widows you've got a, a woman whose husband has dementia I think he handles that storyline so beautifully obviously dementia is close to my heart as I mentioned and I think the way he handles that the, the gorgeous character of Anne Bogren who looks after Steve and Elizabeth's husband I just think it's a kind and beautiful world that doesn't actually shy away from some of the you know, the, the less good parts of advancing through this world wrapped up in really fun mysteries. And I'm being a comedy writer, I'm a massive comedy snob. So I, it's really hard to make me laugh because I'm the only person who's allowed to be funny, apart from Miriam Margulies and, and Oscar Wilde. I'm just gonna hand the party over to them. But in my world, in my shed, uh, only I can be funny. So funny. But those books actually have me snorting out loud and, you know, like property spitting. They are so, there's a line in the most recent one, The Bullet, The Mist, that I just had to put the book down and literally be incontinent everywhere for several minutes. It was so funny. And it's to do with Hendon. Uh, and so if Richard Osman can make Hendon absolutely make me literally you know, leak, then uh, all power to him. So Joyce and Elizabeth from the Thursday Murder Club, I think they'd be they'd be absolutely brilliant. Bit yappy, you might have split them up, but yeah, okay. fabulous. Usually, this is the point why I'd ask if there's anyone you don't want there. But I wonder if it's more interesting to know who you had on your B list. Who well, I've got one more person who's on the A list, though. Oh, there's one more. one more. I thought you'd one run more. out of seats. One more. Oh, heck no. I mean, this is the edited highlights. <laughs> this is like the mini bar version that you'll get it. Um, so my last one uh, is Shug Avery from The Colour Purple. Now, oh. Right, you're you're going to be a bookish sort, Danny. Um, I'm sure you had books that you obsessed over yeah. in your adolescent years. The Colour Purple was mine. I absolutely loved that book. I mean, like, I read it a million times. Love the film, love it all. And if there was a book that probably really inspired me to become a writer, it was that, because the power of that story, um, and obviously it covers a, a lot of historical and systemic awfulness, but actually just this story of these two sisters um, and their, you know, their, their fight to get back to one another. It's it's beautiful and I love it. But what I love about um, Shug Avery, because obviously it's, you know, it is a story of victimhood and, and misery and what have you. And then a woman comes along who raises another woman up. And Shug Avery, for those who don't know the book, is a blues singer who's been dismissed as a fallen woman because basically she has sex with men and doesn't marry them. <laughs> Um, so she's sort of been dismissed as like a fallen woman and it's her within a community that actually isn't being kind um, to Celie who reaches out a hand and kind of shows her the woman that she can be. And again, I'm so indebted to the women and men around me that, that have done that for me, who've gone, no, don't, this isn't what you are. Don't let someone else limit you and tell you what you are. Come, come, let me show you what you can be. And I just think she's great. Also, what a singer. Oh, so they, got, they got entertainment. 
if Morgan Le Fay's run out card tricks by the time we've had the, you know, grilled prawns, uh, then and I suspect by the time we're on the Tia Maria's at the end of the night, she'll go get up and give us, give us a chin. She'll get up and give us a chin to shake it. So I think she'd be fabulous. So, uh, so yes, that I, I promise that's that's everyone. You've really is. thought this through. You've really considered who you're yeah. having there. I feel like I can feel the work and the planning that's gone on behind this. But you've got to plan it right because you took. I mean, can you imagine if you're imagining a dinner party went wrong? I'd never live it down. And I think there's a good group. There's a good group dynamic there. And we're all going to be, I think it's going to be a very fun night. A very fun night. So, as saying, is there anyone you don't want to show up? There is, I'm afraid. There is. I feel quite strongly about this, I have to say. Um, I'm a children's author, and uh, there are certain iconic characters in children's literature that I'm extremely fond of, uh, for good and for bad and what have you. But there is one, and this is no disrespect to the author, who, God bless her, has passed on from this realm, who is an absolute legend and who I adore everything she wrote, so this is not on her. Uh, Judith Kerr, God bless you. But if that bloody tiger comes to my tea... It's, 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 it's hunting season. And I just, that tiger, that tiger, that tiger, it turns up, I invited, I invited the tiger to see, he eats all the cake, he drinks all the water from the taps. He has drained an entire, like, septic tank system. He makes a mess of the place. He, I don't even really say thank you, he's not bothered, he's just completely ruined uh, this family's tea party. And then, to cap it all off at the end of it, she goes, well, all right. Uh, yeah, despite the fact you walked into my house, stolen, stolen from me, ruined my plumbing system. That's like, that's not five bob job, Danny, to get a, a house no, no, watered. That's, that's going to cost. Can you imagine the emergency call-out fee for that? Uh, hi, uh, <laughs> rent Especially plumber. during wartime. You didn't, there was a lot of call-outs. Tiger has just drunk all my water. Uh, we go and flush a toilet. It's getting a bit unsanitary in here. Could she pop round and rewater my entire house? Um, no, let's think of all We were unprepared for the tiger. So tell you what, this time when we go down Aldi, we're going to buy some bespoke tiger food for next time he comes round. Does the tiger ever come back? No. Tiger never comes back. <laughs> So if that bloody tiger shows up, either he's not he's not welcome for the canopy. He can't do a Steinbeck. I'm not even going to invite him to come and have the you know, come and have the Doritos and the nice dips. You know the ones that you know, when you get four in one pot. Yep. No tiger, because he'd just eat all, wouldn't he? He'd get oh. one Dorito and he'd go around the whole thing and you know eat the whole lot. There wouldn't be any elderflower press eh, that I'm quietly sipping. It'll be gone. It'll be that would ruin it. That would ruin it. And you, do you, get, you get someone at a dinner party, it's probably me actually, who just like hoovers up all the food. Yeah, yeah. Miriam's furious. She's so mad she's run out of anecdotes. Uh, you yeah. know, Simon's already left by this point. He's probably missed the worst of it. Oscar Wilde has nothing. He's trying to think of a witty repast, this tiger, but he just tells yeah. him to off because he's just he's just completely ruined everything and then you know i put when you drive i get there and it's like jurassic park by the time i open the door interestingly someone actually invited him to their dinner party the other day which i thought was a very big purple i don't want to be rude because i don't know who it is but there are <laughs> programs there's help and support out there but that bloody tiger the bloody tiger who ruined bloody tea that's him and he's not coming danny he's not coming to my very well thought out carefully yeah. created personally financed because i've just had to grow my you my U drive quite considerably to get the thursday murder club in i'm not springing for him as well no that's no. no and i i agree i i actually very much agree with that and i do think you've got a nice group of people that are coming 
What does he wear? Is he doing close-up magic like Morgan Le Fay? No. Is he singing Billie Holiday like Shug Avery? No. Is he coming up with witty bon mo and, and saying dropping sea bombs all the time like Miriam Mothers? No. What do you bring, Tiger? Well, who are you? What's the point of you? Oh no, I'm sorry, you're just eating all the breadsticks. No, absolutely not. What I like as well is he was obviously, you know, alluding to the Nazis during the war. So what I really like is the passion with which you hate him is correct. Absolutely. And the Nazis, I'd like to be quite clear on that point <laughs> as well. <laughs> it's not just allegorical. No Nazis, no tigers. Um, no Nazis, no tigers at my dinner party. And after about half seven, probably no John Steinbeck either, but he is welcome on all fronts. Yeah, he could still come. He's not falling in the same category. He could come. Not, he just probably again, wouldn't. just to be clear, I am not comparing him to either uh, a follower Hitler, nor a tiger that comes along and absolutely destroys a perfect nice dinner party. Just be very clear about that. The two things are completely unrelated. Steinbeck, you are welcome, but I just don't want him to feel pressured. I just don't want him to feel uncomfortable in the U Drive with Miriam and Oscar, you know, sort of sipping dirty martinis on the way. I just, yeah, it's, that's not nice. Well, look, this has been wild. <laughs> it's been like a tiger's just coming here and torn it all up. Yeah, my brain is like, at the moment, I'm absorbing all of this. And look, before I let you go, because we've done sports days, we've just had a wild park planning session. We've covered so, so much. Before I let you go, I need to know if you're reading anything at the moment. Oh, yes, 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 yes. Uh, well, not, I say yes, no, 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 because I have five books being published next year. So I am literally wow. a writing sausage factory at the moment. So I'm just writing uh, the third of a new series of children's novels that are coming out uh, starting this year and next year. Um, and then I've got um, some, uh, I don't know if I can say what I'm doing after that, but I've got a very exciting project after that. You're doing um, things. So I'm doing things. So it's a bit, bit, not bonkers at the moment, but um, a book I read that feels fitting in my, I'll say celebration, just ill-veiled ranting uh, about a disregarding middle-aged woman. And I urge every disgruntled middle-aged woman to read. It's a book called Amazing Grace Adams by Fran Littlewood. It came out earlier this year. And it was one of those books I was really grateful I was ill uh, because it gave me an excuse to sit down and read it in a day. And it's about a woman in her, um, I think she's in her late 40s, and the point is she's, she's the eponymous Grace. And it makes the point that when you're younger, everyone thinks you're amazing. And exactly as we talked about here, you don't cease to be amazing just because you hit your 40s, but everyone thinks you're amazing. But more importantly, you stop remembering that you're amazing as well. And it's one of these glorious stories that the story is tiny. It's her trying to get her daughter's birthday cake to her 16th birthday to sort of have a bit of a rapprochement. They've, they've had a fallout and the, the circumstances surrounding it all come out. Um, but she's basically trying to get across London in a heat wave um, to get her daughter's birthday cake to a 16th birthday party. And those, as we know, can be the greatest odysseys of all, but yep. it dips down the timeline. So we find out uh, all, all the things that have sort of led to this moment and you know her, her amazingness then and now. And I just think it's a glorious, but it's beautifully written um, and it's, it's beautifully plotted, but it's just the book I really needed to read at this point in my life that to go, yes, Maz Evans, yes, your t-shirt smells of soup a little bit and you're still in the trousers you went to the tip in. You have no idea what day of the week it is uh, and you nearly forgot this Zoom altogether. But you know what, Maz Evans? <laughs> you are still capable of being amazing. You're not a tiger that came to tea, Maz Evans. You're not. You're, you could be Miriam Margulies, Maz, not a Nazi tiger. Remember that about yourself. <laughs> so, you know what? <laughs> 
on that note, which I think is the perfect <laughs> note on which to end this whole this whole process. <laughs> Which I think has been something on the lines of a podcast episode, but also therapy. Um, I'm I'm two stone lighter, and for a perimenopausal woman, that is no mean feat. Let me tell you, I haven't lost weight since the coalition government. This has been this has been glorious. Oh my goodness! Look, thank you so so much. Over my dead body comes out in August. This will be out and live. It will be in the world. It's going to do fantastically. And thank you so so much for joining me. It's been an absolute riot. It's been a joy, Danny. Thank you so much for having me and all that you're doing. I love listening to this podcast as well. So thank you so much for the time and trouble that you uh, you put into it. Mwah.